morning. Before we begin, I just want to um, say a word to the men. Uh, gentlemen, next Saturday, Men's Connection is meeting, and I just want to personally invite you. Um, we're going to begin a series of discussions on the heart. And I think there's probably nothing more important for us as men than to learn how to live in our hearts and understand uh, from our hearts. And um, I just want to invite you to come. So I hope that you'll consider it. It's at 7 o'clock uh, Saturday morning or 7.30. 7.30. Saturday morning over in the video cafe. Let's pray. Lord, you are amazing. You are good and you are gracious and you have established Lord, an answer for the problem of this world when it fell into sin. That answer you have been working out throughout history. And you have been revealing it little by little by little through foreshadowing, through people you've set apart, through the nation of Israel, until, Lord, you yourself came as the Messiah to bring a work to set us free. Lord, we consider now who it is who really came. And we ask that you will help us to, to think through this. Pray that your spirit will speak into our hearts and minds a word that we need to hear for ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that uh, I may grow smaller so that you may grow bigger as I present this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> it's been about eight years now, but uh, I was diagnosed with a sleep disorder. And I have learned much more about sleep since then. I didn't realize that sleep was so necessary, so important to our health. Um, one of the things that happens when we sleep is a hormone from our pituitary gland is released. For young people, it helps them to grow. And for old folk like me, but also for young folk and in between, it causes the tissues in our bodies to repair. It removes inflammation from our joints and muscles and tissues, and it allows the body and the brain to be recharged. My sleep doc insists that the cause of ill health is not enough sleep. And he tells me that we're supposed to get seven and a half hours of sleep a night, that we were built for seven and a half hours of sleep a night. I'm so glad he said that because I have felt so guilty for trying to sleep seven hours in a night. And some of you could probably relate to that. And especially me, because I had a dad who slept four and a half hours a night. That was it. Of course, he died young. <laughs> so, who knows? Well, it makes sense that the body needs rest. After all, when God created everything, on the last day, he rested. The rhythm of rest, then, is in the creative order of everything. Truth is, we struggle with rest. That struggle for some of us comes from a 
a powerful work ethic. And we can feel like if, if we're sleeping or resting too much, we're lazy. The culture, of course, promotes and, and uh, pats us on the back. If we strive in the pursuit of goals like wealth or success or freedom or happiness or whatever it may be, to be the best, the culture also promotes busyness. We go from thing to thing to thing to thing. We don't want our kids to miss anything. We don't want to have to say no to anything. And we don't necessarily build in margins for ourselves. We just pile up the stuff in terms of what we're doing. We're busy. That busyness extends to our technology. Maybe the technology of the 1950s television. Now it's YouTube, computer, iPhone, email, Twitter, Facebook. And there are studies telling us that it is addictive. We can get so tangled up that we yearn for rest but don't know how to get it. The promise of rest is an important promise in the Bible. It is intimately associated with the promised one, the baby born in Bethlehem. Now we know the specific prophecies about his birth. We've heard them over and over and how he's fulfilled the Old Testament in the New Testament. But what of the other promises of God? Does he fulfill any of them? And I want you to look up here on the screen. The word of God says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Talking about the Christ, the Messiah. This is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. How about an amen? Amen. Yes. Now this Advent, we're going to look at four promises that are themes that run throughout the scripture that are not always associated or that we think about are associated with the Messiah. But he is the fulfillment of them. These four and other promises as well. So, we hope you'll take time to consider this throughout this Advent season. Now, the big idea today is just simply this. Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our rest. Not talking about sleep here. I'm talking about rest. And we'll take a look at that in a minute. We're going to look at the promises of rest in the Old Testament. Then we're going to look at the fulfillment of those promises in the New Testament. This will be a little bit of a survey going through the Bible, so I'm not going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to keep up with it. You'll be going back and forth. But we'll look up at the screen because they do have most of the texts on there. Now rest is first introduced when God created all things. It's on the seventh day that God rested. And this is what we read about that. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
In Hebrew, the word for work means to cease from work or exertion or to cause to seek, uh, cease from work or exertion. There are two things about this rest that God took that we should know. First, it happens when the work is completed. God ceased when the work was completed. And second, on the day that God rested, he set it apart from all the others and he called it holy. That's what holy means, to be set apart. These things will matter to us as we look at the fulfillment of it in the New Testament. The second time we come across the, rest of, uh, the theme of rest in the Old Testament is when God called and established Israel as a nation. There are four references there. Now you'll remember that God had made a promise to Abraham. And his descendants had ended up in Egypt. And they ended up in slavery in Egypt. And God heard their cries, and he called Moses to bring them out of Egypt and out of slavery. And when God called Moses, he gave Moses this assurance. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. The rest that the Word of God is talking about is associated with the very presence of God. It is a rest that we may have when we're in the presence of God. And I believe that although a lot of this rest is speaking about the rest that will come after God establishes them, there is a rest with God that we discover in the New Testament that comes from the presence of God. We could be at rest in our hearts and in our minds. By implication, the rest that God promises Moses is a rest that includes the Hebrews. God will deliver them from slavery into freedom. He will establish them as a nation. He will give them an inheritance, the promised land, and they will find their rest in him, which is God's promise to them. Rest again is brought up in the Old Testament when God gave the Ten Commandments to his people as he is establishing his covenant with them. It is the fourth commandment that God says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. The Sabbath rest that is a part of the commandments did three things. First, It made sure that the people memorialized the rhythm of rest. Now when we memorialize something, we remember it. We remember it in a way that it becomes a part of our life. So by commanding that they would rest, God was memorializing this so that they would remember and make it a part of their life. It reminded them to trust God. 
because they could do no work. It was all about, therefore, trusting God, being in relationship to God. And lastly, we can ascertain, looking at this side, right, of the big picture, that it is preparing his people for the ultimate rest one day when he will bring them to himself and they will rest with him. We find again rest, the theme of rest, brought up when the Israelites are about to take possession of the promised land. It is again part of this same covenant. And God says, you shall not do according to all that you were doing here today. Everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Now, when it talks about everyone doing whatever is right in its own eyes, what it's simply saying is people had no authority. They were living in sin. They may have assumed they were doing things right, Whatever felt right to them. But it wasn't what was right in God's eyes. He said, For you have not as yet come to the rest and the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. And he's making an important point here. That obedience will be required. They will not live in that sinful way. Everyone according to his own way. Everyone who thinks whatever is best for themselves. That must be it. We live in a culture today, don't we? Where people make up their own religion. I mean, I, I, I talk to some young people and I ask them, well, what do you believe? And I just listen. And sometimes... They have a mixture of oriental religion, Christianity. Um, I don't know where they get some of the stuff, maybe TV or something. And they kind of put it all together like it synchronizes well. Everyone living according to their own way. That will go by the wayside when they take possession of the promised land. God promised that they will get their rest after possession. It again is associated with His presence. He's going to dwell with them. He's going to be going before them as they go into the promised land and conquer it. And He will be with them after. And it will be a land of milk and honey and He will continue to make it to rain. And as long as they live in obedience to Him, they will know all the blessings Lastly, in the Old Testament, well not lastly, but another time when it comes to establishing Israel as a nation, the last point of that, is when Israel takes possession of the promised land. This is what we read. This is Joshua at the end, after they have defeated everyone. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. 
Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. As promised, rest came to the people of God. But this is a fallen world. People are sinful. And the rest was not lasting. Within a generation, the rest was eluding them. There was a remnant of the Canaanites who held to their false gods. And there were Israelites being wooed away from Yahweh to worship these false gods. The judges rose up at times to restore peace, to turn away sin and turn the people back to God. And whatever peace they had during this time, it was always short-lived because it's a fallen world and people are sinful and the rest was not lasting. Now over the generations, outside people groups developed and grew strong like the Philistines and the Amalekites was made up of several tribes. And so God called or gave permission for a king to lead his people. They had wanted a king. And he called Saul to do that, but Saul disappointed him. And he set David apart to do that. But David was an imperfect man too. The thing about David was that God said, was a man after my own heart. He pursued God's agenda. He repented of his wrongs. He admitted them. And he sought to fulfill God's will and bring God glory. God chose David to be a great king. That his throne would be established forever, meaning that the Messiah would come through his lineage. David defeated the Philistines. He won the civil war that lasted seven or eight years. And he survived a coup by his own son, Absalom. And after he had subdued all his enemies, he gave his throne to Solomon. And there was rest again when the dynasty was at its zenith. Solomon would pray at the temple dedication these words. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. Not one world has failed all his good promise which he spoke by Moses, his servant. But again, this is a fallen world. People are sinful and rest is not lasting. The people of God fell into apostasy. They were conquered by other nations, sent off into exile, and God returned them to the promised land. This we read about in the Old Testament. There is nothing more fundamentally important in terms of this understanding of rest from the Old Testament. But we're going to turn now to the New Testament and we're going to look at 
two passages in particular in which the promise of rest is what it means to be fulfilled. The first promise of rest fulfilled comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It comes when Jesus says to the people, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In essence, this was an astounding claim that Jesus was making. The people of God knew that the rest of God was always associated with the Lord. Jesus was, in essence, saying, I am the Lord. I will give you rest. I am making my dwelling among you. The word heavy laden there refers to tough times, tough things. A burden that is just too heavy to bear. Too much to bear up under. It is like the yoke of slavery that God delivered the Israelites from when they were in Egypt. Today, slavery takes different forms. Sometimes it is physical oppression, like sex trafficking. But there is a slavery to worry. There can be a slavery to fear. There is slavery to the works of the flesh, lust, jealousy, envy, bitterness, resentment, anger, rage, and hatred. There is slavery in addictions of all kinds. There's slavery in sin. There's an old saying that sin makes you stay longer, takes you further than you want to go, and makes you pay more than you want to pay. Because it enslaves. Jesus, as he begins his ministry in the Gospel of Luke, When he comes to Nazareth, he reads from Isaiah. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord, his favor. And after he rolled up the scroll, he sat down. And he said to the people, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. <clears throat> Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. 
Perhaps there are some of you here today who have a burden that is great, hard to bear up under. Go to Jesus. Trust Him. Turn to Him. Find your rest in Him. In Him you will find freedom. You will find peace. And you will find contentment. This morning I heard of a person who shared with me exactly that. That he was a captive who has been set free. Praise the Lord. Long time coming, but God is able. Heavy laden, though, doesn't just refer to these tough burdens that are hard to bear. Heavy laden also refers to the yoke that the Pharisees had laid upon the people. It was a works-based religion that they needed to earn their relationship with God. This is what Jesus said. So then there remains a Sabbath rest. No, not it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's not it either. They, referring to the Pharisees, tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move a finger to help them. This is why Jesus is so angry with the Pharisees. They have burdened people down with a works-based religion. It is a heavy yoke. And Jesus compares it to his yoke, which is easy, and his burden, which is light. God gave the law for holiness. That's true. But he never intended that we would strive in our own power to be holy. That's impossible. We are struggling to recover from the effects of sin. We will not have power over it. Our propensity to sin against God and others is stronger than we are. But with God's help, we can have victory. And we can be stronger. Because God is stronger. The yoke that God intended was not a works-based religion, but a yoke of grace, of a free relationship with God that was based upon trusting Him and Him alone. And we have examples of it throughout the Scripture. We have Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets and saints untold. It is why Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There are some of you here today who think that you have to earn a relationship with God. You think that before you can come to God, you've got to clean yourself up. There are others of you who think, well, if I just do more good than bad, then I'll be acceptable to God. All of this 
is a works-based faith. The faith that God wants is that we would trust God's promise, that we would trust Jesus and the saving work he did for us on the cross. That we would believe what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He has made a way. There are some of you here who believe Jesus is Savior. You accept God's forgiveness, plan, and grace. But you strive to be holy. You are well-intentioned because you want to be worthy of the grace that God has given you. But you are wrong because what you are doing is more of works-based religion. I know because that's my struggle. I want to be worthy of the one who has done so much for me. When I think of all that God has done upon the cross, all that he has blessed my life with, all that he has been to me, how he has never, ever forsaken me, I want to be worthy of him. I don't want to disappoint him. I strive. A lot like I did to get my dad's approval. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be those things. But after a while, I get so consumed in it that I start to associate his acceptance of me with that striving. And that if I'm not striving enough, then it's not good enough. And it's not enough with God. And that's not what God wants from me. He doesn't want it from you. He wants our trust. He wants us to walk with him like Abraham did. He wants us to step out in faith when it makes no sense to anybody else but Him and you. He doesn't want the works-based religion that will steal your rest. He wants to do this in you, through you, and for you. My friends, if you are striving in a works-based way, then may I tell you, please, give it up. Give it up. Go to Jesus, place all your trust in Him, and find rest for your souls. Because that's the invitation of Jesus. It's not just rest, but rest for your soul. That's where rest starts to take us to the ultimate meaning of it and fulfillment of it in our souls. The second promise of rest in the New Testament we find in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It again tells us the ultimate meaning and promise of rest. It speaks of a Sabbath rest. A rest like God on the seventh day after all of the creation was finished. We read in Hebrews 4, 9 through 10, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, much of Hebrews 4 is talking about the disobedience of the Israelites and how it caused them not to be able to rest. And those who were disobedient didn't enter into God's rest. But look at what it says there. (coughs) That there is a Sabbath rest for God's people. A Sabbath rest. A rest like God's. All the Old Testament rests point back to God's rest in creation. And Hebrews 4 speaks of a Sabbath rest that embraces the rest of God on the seventh day in creation, but looks ahead to our eternal rest in heaven when we will rest from our labors and struggles in this life. This will come in the last judgment for those who have trusted Jesus and rested in Him, they will be resurrected to life in the new heaven and the new earth. And to those who have not, they will be resurrected to torment. As I have thought about, especially this one, it has deeply touched my heart this week. My wife and I have a very dear friend who's dying, 57 years old. She's been facing cancer for 18 years. She has fought the good fight like few I know. And as she is coming to this end, exhausted, ready for her rest, she is at peace because God is with her. And when her husband talked to me privately, he said, she is so ready. I'm at peace. Our daughter's at peace. They're all trusting Jesus. And while it is a sad event, There's comfort for this family. Comfort that there will be peace. That she will be at rest with God. Eternal. And what God has promised cannot be taken away from her. Or for any of us who find our rest in God. It will last forever and we will bask in the awesome love and presence of God and there will be great joy. I don't know if you have ever experienced the presence of God. It is like nothing else. It is overwhelming. There is peace and there is love and there is joy and there is light. There is fear and there is awe and there is mystery. And it is more than I can comprehend as a human being. But it is a wonder. The baby born in Bethlehem is the one who makes this possible. He is our rest. 
And as the Word of God teaches, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. And that is why, through Him, that we utter our amen. To God for His glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for being our rest. We thank You for the promise of rest. And we thank You, Lord, for making rest possible for us. Rest in this life for our souls and rest with You in eternity. Jesus, we thank You that You make rest possible because You have dwelt among us And you have promised that where you are, there will be rest for us. I pray, Lord, for those who are not at rest now. I pray for those who are struggling with heavy burdens or work-based faith. And I pray, Lord, that you will just encourage them to come to you to lay down that burden before you and turn it over to you. To lay down that works and just trust you in love and believe on your promises. And I ask, Lord, that you will give them rest for their souls. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.